Welcome to this talk from Emmaus Road, a church with congregations in Guildford, Woking and Aldershot in the UK. To find out more about who we are and what we're up to, please visit us online at EmmausRoad.com. to be here. My name is Daniel Grothy. I'm 40. I know I look like I'm 60, but I'm 40. Um, I feel like if I didn't live in Colorado Springs and work at New Life, this would be like my place. Uh, This feels like a second home. I've known Pete for now over 20 years, over half my life. And Pete and Sammy, you, you just have an embarrassment of riches here at Emmaus Road, and your reputation around the world precedes you. Uh, from the Burtons to the Heathers to the Hugheses and the Thomases and I mean, just it's just it's too much. And I thank God for all of your for your love, for your joy, for your faithfulness. So thanks for having me here. Uh, I you may think I came to do ministry primarily, and you know you, you wouldn't be wrong. But I also was sent by an American delegation. Uh, someone asked me uh, before the service. He said, "Mate, how's America?" And I said, "It's." We're in a rough spot right now. I don't know if you've been watching the news. We're sort of a, we're just dramatic. So it's July 2nd, two days away from our 247th birthday. We rebelled and broke away, and God forgive us for that. I'm here, I'm back here to meet with King Charles in the morning to see if he'd take us back. It's just basically, would you please take us back? We need some sanity. Um, okay. Amen. I got to find a spot where I can stand. It's all good, John. You're fine. What I want to do tonight is read one verse in the Bible, and I want to read it three times. It's six words in the English language. 1 John chapter 5, verse 21. It'll be up on the screen, and I'm going to ask you if you would just read this with me three times, and then we'll just ask the Spirit to speak. So can we just participate? I come from a Pentecostal kind of charismatic background. We, we just talk to each other in church. We act like we're having fun. We act like the Spirit just might show up and do something. That the words of God are living and active, sharper than a double-edged sword, piercing to the dividing. Like, let's go for it tonight. So let's read this together three times and uh, just trust the Spirit to speak. Here's John, the old man at the end of his life. And here's how he closes his letter. First John 5, 21. Would you read it with me by saying, Dear children... Keep yourselves from idols. First time. Beautiful. So we say, come Holy Spirit and speak. Second time, join me. Dear children, keep yourselves from idols. We need you, we need you, we need you, we need you. Now the third time. Dear children, keep yourselves from idols. I'm a student of literature. I like a good story. I like a good book. Uh, you guys are sophisticated English folks. And I love paying attention to the different devices, literary devices along the way. As you read an incredible book, very often you'll have an opening line that just launches you into a world. It was the best of times. Sophisticated English. All of a sudden, Dickens throws you into a tale of two. Where is this going? A great American novelist, Herman Melville, opened his great 
Moby Dick with, call me Ishmael. I heard some of you, yeah, you're just all over it. Call me Ishmael. Who's Ishmael? All of a sudden, you're leaning forward. You can't be a passive observer when, you, when a book with, opens with, call me Ishmael. Uh, Ursula Le Guin says, first sentences are doors to worlds. But last sentences are powerful, too. And if you're a student of literature, the way someone decides to end a story, to end a book, to end a letter like this, it matters. And John is an old man, and old men stop wasting time on unnecessary things. You, you've lived a long time, and now you just want to boil it down. You want to distill it into its most pure form. I need to tell you this. Dear children, keep yourselves from idols. And then he drops the mic. Bye, John. He's not wasting it. Keep yourselves from idols. Dear children, it's familial. It's tender. It's close. It's intimate language. John's final line, dear children, keep yourselves from idols. What a way to close. And I want to ask, what's John doing here? And let's just kind of back up. What is idolatry anyway? Isn't that some old Eastern kind of precious religious superstitious thing from an ancient unsophisticated lot? We're, 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 you know, enlightened now. Idols. What's, idol, what's idolatry? Historically, it's intriguing to look at what people have said. When I was preparing for this message, I did some research on what people have said through the centuries about idolatry. And the Italian philosopher Giordano Bruno, who lived in the mid-1500s, uh, distinguished four kinds of idols. And the first is the idols of the tribe. All of us are part of a tribe a family tribe, a geographic tribe, a political tribe, an economic tribe, an ethnic tribe. It's, it's not a bad thing. It can be. Tribalism is bad, but we're all born into a tribe. We, we don't. That's not a bad thing. But he says there are the idols of the tribe that can take us over if we're not careful. The second idol that he distinguishes are the idols of the cave. Now, he's talking about the interior cave. All of us live within our own story, our own uh, psychosis, our own predisposition, our own desires. The idols of the cave, the cave of your own heart in your own peculiar predispositions. There's the idols of the tribe. There's the idols of the cave. There's also the third, the, the idols of the marketplace. And we in America, we would defer to the wisdom of Wall Street. What's Wall Street saying? What's the Dow? How's it performing? How did it close? What are the markets doing? What are the trends? How are we, you know, the, the American dream, that would be the, the idol of the marketplace that John and I come from. The American dream, this is what the good life looks like. And, and there are people trying to sell us their version of the good life, the idols of the marketplace. We listen to our business gurus and we want to pay attention to their version of the good life. So there's the idols of the tribe, the idols of the cave, the idols of the marketplace. And the fourth uh, kind of idolatry that Giordano Bruno distinguishes are the idols of the theater. 1550s, right? He's living. The place where we tell our stories. The narratives that we imbibe, what the stories that our celebrities are carrying. This might be today, you know, what, what shows are being played in the West End, or what's Hollywood telling the world? What, what new shows are we putting out on Netflix? The idols of the tribe, the idols of the interior cave, the idols of the marketplace, and the idols of the theater. But let's kind of define our terms tonight. If John says, dear children, keep yourselves from idols, 
what is an idol? It comes from the Greek word eidolon, and, and, and it simply means uh, any image, object, person, or imagination that we form or allow to be formed in us that fuels a false form of worship within us. Any idol, Im- image, object, person, Im- imagination that false, fuels a false form of worship within us. So we can say that idolatry is the act of shifting the worship that is exclusively meant for God over to something or someone else. Shifting the worship. Idolatry, just summarize it this way, is taking a finite thing and trying to invest it with infinite value. Finite thing. Trying to force it to pay the bills, the eternal bills, uh, infinite value. I need you to do for me more than what you're actually able to do. That's what idolatry is. Let's establish right at the top that the human creature is a worshiping creature. The human creature is a worshiping creature. If, If Harry Kane walked in through the back door right now, some of you all would lose your stuff. You just... Oh, my God, we're in the presence of the Lord. You're taking selfies now. And, you know, you'd stop going through the communion line if you saw Harry Kane. You know, like, I don't know who your people are. Some of you are like, I hate Harry Kane, you know. <laughs> Whoever your person is, insert if LeBron James walked in, half of this room would lose their stuff. Taylor Swift, you would, yeah. Why? What is that thing in us, that impulse? That thing in us is we were made to adore. We were made to be awed. We were made to be swept up into wonder. We were made to live wide-eyed and to be shocked and to be enamored of God. And idolatry is shifting that to someone or something else. The human creature is a worshiping creature. Idolatry is worshiping the wrong thing. Now, Moses knew this, and God knew this full well. And so the first commandment as God begins to engage with the human story and to teach us and to show us the first commandment is instructive Exodus 20 verse 3 God says you shall have no other gods before me you shall not make for yourself a carved image or any likeness of anything that is in heaven above or that's in the earth beneath or that is in the water under the earth and you shall not bow down to them or serve them the first commandment Love the Lord your God is a, is a provocation and a, and a warning away from idolatry. You shall have no other gods. But Moses and Joshua are up on the mountain as God is speaking, and the people get antsy. Have you ever thought God just takes entirely too long? God, what do you, come on, let's be more efficient. Come on, deliver. Come on, God, I need you. And so Moses and, and Joshua are up there and they're worshiping and, and, and they're swept up into the glory of God and they start hearing this commotion down at the base of the mountain and they go, oh, shoot. And they race down the mountain with the Ten Commandments and what do we have? It's found in Exodus 32. This is the story. While God is up on the mountain delivering this message to Moses, And Joshua, you see what happens when Moses, when the people saw that Moses was so long in coming down from the mountain, they gathered around Aaron. The leaders are up there. They're they're gathering around Aaron. They said, come, make us gods who will go before us. As for this fellow Moses, I don't know, he might be dead. 
What the heck? He, he brought us up from Egypt, but, but he's left us, and I don't, we don't even know what happened to him. And Aaron answered them, take off the gold earrings that your wives and your sons and your daughters are wearing and bring them to me. So all the people took off their earrings and brought them to Aaron. He took what they handed him and made it into an idol cast in the shape of a calf, fashioning it with a tool, like this is work, fashioning it with a tool. And then they said, these are your gods, Israel, who brought you up out of Egypt. It's a golden calf. These are your gods, Israel, who brought you up out of Egypt. And when Aaron saw this, he built an altar in front of the calf, and they, they made a worship service. Tomorrow there will be a festival to the Lord. So the next day, the people rose early and sacrificed burnt offerings and presented fellowship offerings before the golden calf. And afterward, they sat down to eat and drink, and they got up to indulge in revel. They had a, an orgy. They, 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 they consummated their worship to the golden calf by like going to church and doing what they do in the wrong direction. Exodus 32, the golden calf, we think that that's strange, but I'll... Little context matters. Bull worship was common in the ancient Near East. Why? Because if you have a strong, virile bull, the bull can find a heifer and they do what they do, and what happens? A calf is born. And many calves are born. And if you have calves out in the out in the field, they're eating and, and they're strong, and your family's going to eat, and then you can take what you have left over and go to the market and sell it, and your family will abound. And so they built this golden calf, and they started worshiping it. These are your gods, O Israel, that brought you up out of Egypt. Moses and Joshua, they're taking entirely too long. God is not efficient. And so what idolatry is, is taking the story into your own hands. I think we look at those people, and we go, oh, bless their hearts. Isn't that so precious? And again, we're more enlightened. But uh, I wanted to show you a picture of what is right outside of Wall Street in New York City. Look at the first picture. That's New York City right on the main strip, a golden calf, a bull, right? And what is the bull market? The bear market, the bear swipes down, right? It's, but the bull swipes up and to the right. Like, we need a market that goes up and to the right. And if the market does what we need, then we'll have security. And then we'll be able to retire. And then we'll be able to have, play more golf and go on more cruises. We need this up and to the right. And we look at those old people and we go, bless their hearts, the golden calf. And then we do this. This is in the second picture is the Shenzhen market in China. They take it a step further. They've got their bulls. They've got multiple bulls, but these are little bear cubs that the bulls have killed. We don't want a bear market. We want a bull market, and the bull is going to destroy all the uncertainty because we need to know that we're going to make it. You shall have no other gods before me. Some of you are going, oh, Daniel, you're trying too hard here. No, like we're living in an idol factory. We're living in an idol factory. I want to suggest that the age in which we live may be the vilest idol factory that the world has ever seen. Now, I don't know your story as well over here, but I'll tell you, there's different idols for different regions. Have you noticed this? Different values in different regions. I'll just clip through. I made a list. In Boston, where you know, our, our nation in Boston, they ask, how much does he know? 
In New York City, they ask, how much does she make? In Philly, they ask, what, what family does he come from? Who does he know? In Seattle, they ask, what world-changing innovation has he come up with? In Los Angeles, they ask, how beautiful is she and what are her measurements? In Las Vegas, they ask, how many people came to his show last night? In Texas, they ask, how much land does she own? In Colorado, they ask, how independent is he? Different idols for different regions. But let me say this. Idolatry is the perversion of something that was good. Very often in the church, we want to talk about everything as if it's bad, and we furrow our brows. God wants us miserable, and God's this cosmic killjoy, and God is against our flourishing. He wants to set the bar so high and see if we can jump over it, and he's just looking to damn people. That's not at all what's going on. But, but what happens is when you take a good thing and you try to make it an ultimate thing, it becomes a dangerous thing. Idolatry is taking a good thing and trying to make it an ultimate thing and thereby making it a dangerous thing. Think about this. That's the trajectory of all idolatry. A good gift like money. Praise God. I hope all of you have some. I pray that you have more. And I pray that it doesn't take you over, but that you can steward it as someone that, that knows where to send. I pray you can hire more people, you business owners. I pray you can give to more missions work in the world. I pray that you can bless your city. I, I pray that God gives you an abundance of resources. But idolatry is when a good thing tries to become an ultimate thing in our lives, and then it becomes a dangerous thing. We're living in... Uh, a hookup culture. Sexual intimacy, the gift that God wanted to give to a man and a woman who would commit themselves till death do they part and, and covenant with each other and lay down their lives for each other and, and pray through the night with each other and honor each other. God goes, hey, let me give you a gift to help keep you close. A good thing, we have taken a good thing and tried to make it an ultimate thing and it has destroyed our society. Idolatry. You shall have no other gods. And John says, dear children, keep yourselves from idols. So God says through Moses, you shall have no other gods before me. And there's a reason why this commandment comes first. I wrote it up this way. Let me say it this way. If you obey the first commandment, you will not break the rest of the commandments. You shall have no other god. Before you, I love you, Lord. I bless you, Lord. I praise you, Lord. You're holy. You're worthy. You're majestic. You're powerful. You're beautiful. You're, you're perfect in all your ways. Your word is flawless. If you worship God, numbers 2 through 10 will not attract you. If you worship God, if you get the first commandment right, you won't break the rest. But if you don't obey the first commandment, breaking any of the rest of them is inevitable. <laughs> We want to, like, fixate, oh, I'm really struggling with number four. I should quit doing number four. Or number seven is just really, oh, I'm, you know, violent. And or I do the Sabbath. I just, no, like, take your attention off of that and come back to number one and lift your head to heaven and say, I worship you, almighty God. There is none like you. I bless you. I praise you. I honor you. If you get the first one right, two through ten take care of themselves. If you forget about number one, any of the rest are inevitable. Idolatry, idolatry 
John says, keep yourself from idolatry. But the question is, how do you stay free? How do you stay free of idolatry? Here's, here's the answer that I want to give you. I'll give you a couple examples. I'll tell you a story, and then we'll pray. The answer, how do you stay free from idolatry, is regularly unsettle anyone or anything that could get comfortable sitting on the throne of your heart. Regularly unsettle. Right? We all have a throne right at the center of our heart. And stuff tries to crawl up on that throne and get comfortable and settle in. And what you have to do, how do you stay free from idolatry? You have to regularly unsettle anyone or anything that would try to get comfortable in your heart. How do you unsettle these things that try to take over? I'll say you go right at the heart of the idolatrous temptation with a countervailing practice. Some of you are, oh, $5 word. <laughs> countervailing. Sophisticated. What You regularly go at that thing with a countervailing practice, a practice of equal and opposite force, to, to take a practice that goes against the grain and cuts that thing out at the knees. Here's an example. If you, if you have the temptation to idolize personal freedom, what do you do? You live and you sacrifice and you lay down your life for somebody else. In America... We, I got a freedom. I got to give me my guns. I got to take care of myself. And just, you're not going to tell me no. Like, that, that, that is one of the great idols of our nation. Why don't you lay your stuff down and pick up your cross and follow Jesus? Regularly go against the thing that would try to get settled in your heart. A temptation to glorify yourself. Have you ever been into a room where someone comes in and they just suck up all the oxygen? Hello, I'm here. I'm glad you can be in my world. It's wonderful to be so great. Right? Have you ever been around that person? What do you do if that's your temptation to, to glorify the self? You humble yourself. You repent. You deflect praise. And you find everyone else that you can honor and make them the hero of the story. You have to find a countervailing practice that regularly unsettles whatever's trying to crawl up on the throne of your heart. Temptation to lust, what do you do? Appetites, desires, we're humans, we're made, we, we, we have desires, God gave us desires, but those desires can go amiss. What do you do if lust is, is a temptation for you? You fast, you practice by saying no. Fasting is just practicing no. Man shall not live by bread alone. But by every word, Jesus goes out into the wilderness and he lets the Father just cleanse and purge and keep him humble. And keep. It, it, if you've got that temptation, deny yourself, take up your cross and follow Jesus. I, temptation to idolize money, what do you do? You give it. I, I promise you, I'm 40 years old, I can say this now, with, with 40 years of history, every year, Lisa and I, my parents taught me to tithe. That's a non-negotiable for me. That's a no-brainer. God's blessed me, and every gift is from God, and I come to the church, and I, and I give to missions organizations. That's a no-brainer. That's not, I'm not being a hero, okay? Uh, but I know that once a year in, in history, the Lord has asked me to go above and beyond that and to give something that frankly scares me. And every time, you know what's happening when the Lord, I remember when I was 18, I can like feel it in my body. I'd just been saving some money and 
was thinking about one day, yeah, I'd like to get married. I want to have some money. I want to be debt-free on that ring, and I'm just going to be responsible. And I was 18 years old, and I saw a friend across town who was 40 years old, had a family, and he was unemployed, and he was very sick in his body, and, and he didn't have... And the Lord gave me a number. He dropped it in my spirit. I knew it right away. It scared me. Give it. It was a number so big, I thought, that's the devil. That's the <laughs> devil. In Jesus' name, I rebuke that. I cast it out in the name above all names. No. The devil will never ask you to sacrifice. <laughs> He'll tempt you to gratify. He will never ask you to sacrifice. If it feels costly, it might just be Jesus. And every time something, when, when we, the, year, the yearly invitation from the Lord to go above and beyond and to give the thing that scares me, you know what happens is something breaks free in my heart. And I can laugh about it. You get so good at it, it doesn't hurt anymore. You just laugh. And you go, hey, you took care of me when I was 18, and you took care of me when I was 30, and now I'm 40, you're going to take care of me again. What you do is you go against the idolatrous temptation with a countervailing practice that breaks you free. Temptation to idolize power. Oh, God, we have this temptation. What do you do? You serve people who have no power. You use your strength to lift up the needy. To bless those who can do nothing for you. When John and I were getting started at New Life, John's been there 22 years. I've been there 18 years. And when I came in, our church was on top of the world. Just ask us. Our pastor was the president of the National Association of Evangelicals, a 30 million member group in America. He was on a Monday morning call with the White House every week president was on speed dial. president called in to our pastor's conference and yucked it up with our pastor. The president of the United States of America spoke at our pastor's conference. Like, that's, like, we were it. Just ask us. And we thought we were doing so much work in Washington, D.C., and when Congress or the Senate was debating what do evangelicals think about same-sex marriage or what do evangelicals think about giving to the poor what they would call us we were the talking heads for the church in america and we were really impressed with ourselves and then it came out two years into my time there that our pastor was caught in a salacious scandal he was fired overnight it was on the front page of every newspaper our church was broken we discovered in that time we were $26.5 million in debt. 2007, 2008, global economic collapse. We couldn't keep the lights on. We had to fire 44 staff members overnight. It was heartbreaking walking our friends to the car with their boxes. Lose our senior pastor. Oh, gosh, we're in financial crisis. 13 months after losing our senior pastor, John and I were at church on a Sunday morning, just had two great services, worshiped the Lord. It feels like we're getting our strength back. We, we got a new senior pastor. It was his 100th day. He spoke this morning over here across the street at the Guilford campus. And like, maybe the Lord's doing a good thing, and we're, we're gaining our trust again 100 days into a new senior pastor. And that Sunday, at the end of the second service, I'm standing down at the, the end of our children's hallway, and I hear this sound that you 
never expect to hear anywhere, let alone church, and it's horrific. Guy came on our campus with an assault rifle, thousand rounds of ammunition, and spraying bullets everywhere in church. In church. Killed two teenage girls in the parking lot, sisters getting in their van to go to lunch. Ran in our building. Security guard stops him, and he ends up taking his life at our children's check-in counter. A double murder-suicide in church. 13 months after losing our senior pastor, and we didn't think the valley of the shadow of death had anything deeper. And we're finding new depths to the valley of the shadow of death. We're stunned. We're scared to come to church. And we have no money. Our church was heartbroken. And Pastor Brady who was here this morning, was courageous in that time. And our elders were courageous in that time. I was a young man, and John was leading our church and worship. And no money, but Pastor Brady heard about a couple, maybe 20,000 women in our city in Colorado Springs who were uninsured. They had no medical insurance. You guys have medical insurance. God bless you. We could learn a thing or two. But they didn't have any medical insurance. And so there's these working poor. The mom's trying to get through, and they're getting sick, but they can't go see a doctor because they have no money. And Pastor Brady said, that's, that's profane, that a woman might be sick and not be able to get what she needs. And so he said, let's open a free medical clinic. And I'm sad to say there were several people in our church who came to him and said, you can't do that. We, we, we don't have any money. It's not a wise decision. And Pastor Brady said, well, Solomon said, when you give to the poor, you lend to the Lord, and he will reward you for it. And even if it breaks the bank, we're going to take care of the poor. And so we opened up the Dream Center in Colorado Springs 12 years ago. In that time, we've seen over 17,000 women now for free. They're thriving. We've seen women who had stage two cancer. They didn't know it. We diagnosed it right away, got them into free chemo. They're cancer-free and crushing it in life, and they're getting chiropractic care and dental care, and they're seeing psychologists, world-class psychologists for free. And these women are living in, in their cars at night very often or just trying to get by, and they're strong. What I want to say to you is our church, when I got there, we were doing a lot of work in Washington, D.C., and we were doing very little work in Colorado Springs. And God broke our hearts, and God humbled us, and God returned us to the fear of the Lord. And you know what happened is those scales started to tip, and we started to fall in love with the poor and know their names in Colorado Springs. And now we've got a, 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 an apartment unit, 18 units. And we've got single moms and their kids living in the apartments for free, getting great education. They're, they're, what I'm saying to you is when you have the temptation to idolize power and lust, and self, self-servience and, and build up my own life at the expense of other people. What do you do to unsettle that thing? You create this countervailing practice that frees you up from that temptation. And so we started giving, and we started giving, and we started giving. And when we gave, you know what happened to our church? We got our soul back. We got our innocence back. We got our joy back. We got the fear of the Lord back. We, we started hearing the rejoicing of the poor on the back end of their cries. Friends, I'm here to tell you today, 
The devil wants to trap us in idolatry. He wants us to fall in love with these good things and try to make them ultimate things. And then they become dangerous things and they destroy us from the inside out. But John says, dear children, keep yourselves from idols. And Moses says from the mouth of God, you shall have no other gods before me. So if you'll come back down here to the very first commandment, love the Lord your God. You shall have no other gods before me. If you fall in love with Yahweh, if you worship the one who is and is to come, if you'll if you just give your whole heart to him, numbers 2 through 10 will take care of themselves. And you will be free, and you will be clean, and you will have innocence, and you will be a blessing to the world. And so tonight, my friends, we're living in an idolatry a factory, an idol factory. And I'm here to just say, with John, dear children, brothers and sisters, keep yourselves from idols. Worship the Lord your God and serve him only. Can I ask John, would you come back up and just get your acoustic? This song that John wrote, Overcome, that we sang earlier, I want us to just jump right back in to that chorus, Savior worthy of honor and glory, worthy of all our praise, you overcame. And what I want us to do is just afresh tonight, turn our affection back to God. Right now, would you open your hands, close your eyes and open your hands and ask the Spirit to search you out. The, the, the Lord loves to talk to us. Ask Him what you need to renounce tonight. Ask Him what you need to get rid of tonight. Ask him what good thing you've tried to turn into an ultimate thing that's become a dangerous thing. Ask him to humble you, to tenderize your heart. Ask him to make you innocent again. We say, Spirit of the living God, we want to be free tonight. We want to be pure tonight. We want to love you with true devotion tonight. Friends, I want you to know God's not mad at you. He's not here to wag the finger. He's not here to shame. He's not here to embarrass. He's here to woo you back. And so, Lord, tonight we say we, we repent. Can you begin to take words on your lips? Talk to the Lord about this. We repent from our temptation to fight for power from our temptation to love money, from our temptation to be our own little gods. Maybe some of you have even idolized fear. You've idolized a life that is subpar below what God wants you to have. Lord, we repent tonight. And we want to worship you with all of our heart and soul and mind and strength. And so, Lord, I pray you'd heal us to the deepest places. Pray that you'd purify us tonight. I want us to sing these words. Savior worthy of honor and glory. Savior worthy of all our praise. You overcame. Let's worship the Lord tonight.